right. I'm going to take it right away because I need as much time as I can get. Um, so, telling the first hour, I do hold the longest sermon in Valley Center Community Church history. And uh, if I wanted to break it, I could have broke it this week, trust me. Because uh, in talking with Pastor Dave a few weeks ago, I was like, hey, I need you to fill me in for a sermon here. He's like, I'm like, okay, great, I got one. And then he'd been preaching so well through this whole gather, grow, give, go thing. And then as the Holy Spirit, you know, just does stuff, you start reading the book of James. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I got all these messages right here that I want to preach out of the book of James that go along with this gather, grow, give, go. He's like, yeah, you got one. And so it's like, okay, so, so then I'm trying to condense it all here in, into one sermon. And so we're going we're gonna to fly fast in, in a good way. Um, but just so, yep, just so you know, if uh, Jason, Pastor Jason, if he gives me a whistle, that's not his tick system. That's just him telling me, hey, you need to wrap this thing up. That's, uh, he and I have been on signal with that, so we're good to go. So it's 1996 in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we're at the Grand Old Opry. You all are playing the role of coaches. You're the American Baseball Association of Coaches. And my role is a gentleman by the name of John Salinos. John Salinos was the head coach for Cal Poly Pomona for ooh, 30-ish years. Uh, in that time period of his 30-ish years, he racked up three NCAA Division II national championships and almost 2,000 wins in baseball. Um, and so an amazing, amazing career. And in his amazing career, that's why people showed up for this this opportunity to hear him speak. Um, they packed the place out. They said there wasn't a you know, seat left in the house because they all wanted to hear the wisdom that he had to tell them about baseball. And so at about 78 years old, he comes onto the stage, and he comes onto the stage dressed like this. And people are thinking there, he's 78, potential the screw's gone loose. <clears throat> and, and he talked to him for about 20 minutes before he even mentioned the item that you're all looking at. And he said, oh, some of you may be wondering why I got a new haircut. He's like, but I want to talk to you about this thing first. <clears throat> he said, he's like, do you know how wide a home plate is in Little League Baseball? 17 inches. He says, here's the cool thing. He's like, you move up now from Little League to, like, the World Series that you see on ESPN, Little League World Series. He says, you know how big that home plate is? 17 inches. He says, if you were to take... And go on and follow some of those guys in that career and move to their college and watch them go to college and play. He's like, how big do you think that home plate is? 17 inches. He says, if you were to then go from their college careers and follow them into the pros, he's like, how wide do you think home plate is? 17 inches. He says, it's a standard that baseball is set that home plate is 17 inches. Standard that's never changed. He says, this is the standard that we hold. He says, now, since this is the standard we hold, he's like, what do you think we do with a professional pitcher, big leaguer, who can't put the ball onto that 17-inch plate? Yeah, we get rid of them. It's like, you're going back down to the minors or you're done because, like, this is the game. This is the standard. You have to meet the standard. We don't widen home plate just because Johnny can't get the ball to touch the corners. 
We don't give Johnny a couple extra inches one way or the other just because Johnny feels like he's, you know, hey, I need a little bit extra help there. He says, no, this is the standard. You hold the standard. And as Dave was preaching to us about this gather, growing, giving, and going, um, this is something the elders we've been talking about. It really is God's perfect standard. It's his good standard. So then Coach Lino said, you know what, as I've been going through my career doing this sort of stuff, he says, one thing I've come to realize is that coaches, some of us don't hold the standard. He said, some of us, we get our, you know, our all-star player, and then they show up late for practice. And he says, you know, what do you do with them? It's like, do you, do you hold the standard? Do you put them on the bench? Do you, you know, make them have to do laps or something? He says, nah, unfortunately, too many coaches are saying, nah, you know, I, I need to keep this one because that's my, that's my money, that's my bread and butter, and they won't hold the standard. He said, not only will coaches not hold the standard, but he says, unfortunately, he's like, I'm, I'm seeing it happen too many times where I see mom and dad in their home, and they won't hold the standard. They're letting little Bobby get away with stuff. And then instead of keeping to what should be the rules, they continue to widen the rules. Come up with excuses. Tim Hawkins says they got allergies. You know, hey, my kids got allergies. Excuse them. But instead of holding the standard. He said, not only do I see it happening in the home, but he says, I'm watching this thing happen in other places. He says, well, you know what? I'm seeing the school system and the government system not hold the standard. That the standard's been set, and yet, for some reason, they won't keep them to the standard. And then he said, you know what? And it breaks my heart, but he says, one other place I'm seeing people not hold the standard, he said, is the church. He said, I'm watching leadership within the church that won't hold the standard. They're trying to put things under and behind and trying to excuse people that have done things that were unjust instead of just holding, holding to the standard. And so everybody left there learning more about life than they ever learned about baseball because a coach over 78 you know, year old realized, hey, this, this game, it's been great and fun, but if we don't have the standard, he says, you know, we have looked to look forward to and most baseball home plates have a dark side on the back side he says we have dark days dark days to look forward to as a nation and so as we were talking this thing through as elders and continuing to think through hey how are we going to progress and go forward as a church we said hey you know that that standard that god has set that's really what we want to hold to we want to hold to this idea of gathering together because God's word calls us to do that in Hebrews. It says, hey, let us not forsake getting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us get together, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Like it's a good thing that we're here this morning to worship our God together in one voice, to then be able to then rub elbows and shake hands and like speak hope into each other's lives. Because you may meet someone today that needs a word of hope or needs you to pray for them. And, like, that's what we're here to do, right? This is the great goodness of the body. It says not only we're here to gather, but we're here to grow. God's word says that, hey, 
you should grow in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, built up, rooted in him, and you do that so that you would have the gospel hope in your heart and the reminder to keep pressing forward, but you do it also so that you could encourage your brothers and sisters with words of hope, scriptures, songs, hymns, spiritual things, so that you can be there to you know, lift them up and walk them forward. So we're not only going to gather together, we're not only going to grow together, but we're also then going to give, is what God's word says. We're going to give of our time, we're going to give of our talents, we're going to give of our resources. Acts 2, when we look at that passage, after Peter has preached this great sermon, 3,000 have come to the Lord that day in God's goodness. And then the church is now actively participating in each other's lives. They're looking out for each other, seeing like, hey, what is it you need? Because now that I've come to know who Jesus Christ is as my Lord and Savior, all this earthly stuff, this temporary stuff, doesn't hold the value it held once. And so if I need to sell something to take care of you as my brother and sister in Christ, I'll do that. If you need food, I'm going to make sure you have food. If you need shelter, we're going to make sure you have shelter. Because that's how God has called us to give. That's the standard that God has set for it. And since it's a good standard, we want to glorify God by walking in obedience to that standard. So now we're going to then gather, now we're going to grow, now we're going to give, but we are going to go with the message of Jesus Christ, God's great goodness to us that Jesus died for our sins and that through him and through him alone can we be saved. And so we're going to take that message and we're going to live it out in our actions, but we're also going to speak it out to the world around us so that they would know him as their Lord and Savior. And so then as I was reading through the book of James, there's all kinds of good things that go into these categories of gather, grow, give, and go. But one of the, or four pieces that came out of the book of James that struck me was, why is it, if that's the standard, why is it so hard for us to hold the standard? Why is it that we struggle walking in obedience and staying on those like 17 inches if that's what God's given us as a standard. So because we kept the theme of baseball going and because coaching is like one of my hobbies, um, I thought we'd keep this illustration going here a little bit and trying to help you understand, I think, what holds us up sometimes and how we can go forward in things. So baseball players, you know who the best baseball player on the field is? The one with the most accessories. <clears throat> that's how you can figure this thing out today. If you got more accessories, then that's the guy you want to watch, says Domingo Domingo. So, all right. So I've got accessories. That means you have to listen to me. All right. So if I'm a coach and I'm coaching baseball and I want to teach a kid how to hit a ball, Right? I've got some sp simple fundamentals that I'm going to work through to help them think. And, and I want somebody who's then going to do what I've asked them to do, right? And so James, James points out in chapter 1, verse 22. And so we, we're not going to have slides today, so you're going to have to go old school with me. So if you want to take notes, I don't think they even put notes in your thing. You have to grab a piece of paper in the front right there of your uh, chair. Because, like I said, I had a sermon series. And I'm telling you, like, I had to whittle that thing down hardcore for the last few days just to get to where we're at today. But James chapter 1, starting at verse 22, 
hear this verse. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Okay? Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. He then goes on to say, hey, you know what? Some people, they go to a mirror and they look at the mirror and they look intently into the mirror and they study themselves. I mean, like, let's be honest. The majority of you here took some time to look in the mirror, right? And then after taking time to look in the mirror, the majority of you did something about what you saw in the mirror, right? And that's okay. That's not a bad thing because that means you actually did something with the information that you were given. Like some of you are probably wondering, why is his shirt not quite buttoned right? Right? Might have been on your mind there. And so it's a simple thing to fix, right? But sometimes it happens. Sometimes we get distracted. I have had moments where I've walked out of my house and I realized like, oh, I missed that one. And it wasn't until halfway through the day that all of a sudden it came to my attention. And yet, for some reason, somebody all throughout my time could have told me, hey, your shirt's off, and yet nobody did. You know, they're being kind or gracious. Same with, like, shaving. Every now and then you'll see somebody that's like, ooh, they missed a spot. <laughs> Sorry there, buddy. Like, you know, don't know if it was the shadow in the, in the room or if it was just them rushing or a kid got them. Like, that's happened to me before. Kids all of a sudden get you in the middle of the conversation. And then you realize, like, oh, I ran out of the house and I didn't finish the last part of that strip right there. But it's an easy fix. Like, these things, just like in life, for the Christian, some of the fixes that we need to do in life, holding each other accountable, it's really not that hard of a fix, right? We could go to each other and just say, hey, you know what? I just noticed that this was going on in your life. And I love you. And because I love you, I just want to encourage you. Like, here's the standard God gave us. Let's... I think stay with the standard because it, it will it'll prove beneficial. It'll prove helpful. Like take one instance, gathering, right? The idea of gathering corporately, like that's a good thing that we're here together today to worship the Lord in this house. And, and we're going to be blessed together because of that. And we're going to be more united because of that. And yet, like this is getting to the point where it can become like, man, it's already Sunday. How did Sunday get here? Like, and why is Sunday at the end of the week when it's really the first day of the week? But you feel like by the time you get to it, it's like, oh man, I'm done. And, and like, or other things are starting to push for like your time, right? And so how do we then as a church come alongside each other and say, hey, it's worth taking Sunday. It's worth being here with us. This is a value. Like make this a habit, make this a priority in your life. Let's get together because not only do we want to be encouraged with God's word together, but then throughout the week, we've both heard the same message. We can encourage each other throughout the week. We can continue to build one another up. And we can pray for each other because we know how each other's doing. And so it's, it's something simple like that. So now we've got be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And so what I learned in T-ball, coaching in T-ball, is that you've got to start with everything basic. Simple fundamentals, right? Because kids will come up and they'll do all kinds of crazy things when they get over here to this T-ball. They'll get here and they'll start holding the bat wrong. They want to swing with their arms all crisscrossed. And they'll start standing around the plate in different places. And they'll start hacking at this thing in all kinds of ways. And, and if you can take the time as a coach and say, hey, let's, let's first get the arms straight. Let's get those things untangled and get you standing right here in the box so that when you hit, the ball will go the direction we want it to go, right? And then there's this fun thing you get to teach them called squishing the bug. Because the idea is if you can take this back leg and twist it and squish that little bug underneath you, like you can get some power into this thing, right? 
we can actually generate something. So if we're here, and I was a great t-ball player, by the way. So <clears throat> back row is where I would look. All right? So if I get here and I kick my, you know, twist, boom, home run every time. Every time. I got to walk the bases one time because I hit it so hard so far. All right? And if a kid will listen to you, you'll see success. Like, the kid will be blessed because he'll like, hey, I got that done. That felt good. We, we moved something forward. Same within our church, right? If we walk in obedience to God's word and we would encourage each other, we would see blessing come for our church and for each other. And it would be a blessing walk forward. So why is it we have a hard time being a doer of God's word? Like, What holds us up from just going and doing what God's word calls us to do? And he says, well, you got sin in your life. You got pride. You got fear. You got other things that just keep gnawing away at you and trying to pull you to say, hey, you really should just trust yourself versus trusting the standard or trusting the coach that's trying to help you obey the standard, right? And so I remember coaching kids and saying, hey, listen, you'll do a lot better if you would just, you know, maybe choke up a little bit, stay here, and then swing through. And for whatever reason, whatever voice in their head, they're like, no, I'm going to hold it down here, Mr. Coach. I'm going to take a big hack at that thing. And, you know, they would do it wrong because they wouldn't be a doer of the word and not just to hear. They would hear, but they just wouldn't let it sink in. So what else then changes the mind for someone to go from being a doer, I mean, from being just a hearer, to actually being a doer? And James says, well, it's faith. You really have to have faith. And not just the kind of faith that says, hey, I kind of believe what you're telling me is true. Like, that's kind of like an agnostic faith, right? Hey, I kind of believe there's a spiritual being out there. I, you know, I believe in a higher power. I'm not quite sure how it all works, but there's something there. But there's no conviction to that kind of a faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says, you want to know what faith is? Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is then not only the conviction of things not seen, but it's the living out of what you believe to be true. By faith, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth by just speaking them into existence. Like, we do that by faith. There's no way to go scientifically prove it, and yet God's word, which has been faithful over time, has shown it to be so, and our hearts have been convicted by the Holy Spirit to say, I believe that. I walk in faith, trusting that to be true. If you go to James chapter 2, if you want to turn with me there, you're going to see this passage that talks about faith. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So as we move on in the career of baseball, right, in Little League, you move on from T-ball and they go to Caps. And Caps is kind of a fun place because no longer are you working with a T, but they got this nice little lobbing pitching machine. Just kind of tosses it in there nice and easy. Kids love it, have a good time with it. And then 
Then the you know, apex of the kids' careers come. I'm going into the minors and I'm going into the majors. You know, dealing with 8 to 12-year-old kids. And as you get to the 8 to 12-year-old kids, they start looking at this object. They say, hey, how fast can I make this thing fly? Right? You start giving it to them like, let me watch this. And then you tell them, hey, guess what? You get to pitch with that thing. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get to pitch. I'm going to get to go stand on that mound. Here's the problem. 8 to 12-year-olds, while they can hurl it pretty fast, don't really have much control on it. In fact, most major leaguers say, hey, I tried to throw it there, but it went a little bit over here. It's, you know, they're not always on target either. And so now you've given this lethal weapon in one sense because it's a hard object. And you told them, hey, guess what? Go fling that right there at that kid if you want, but it's got to go across the plate. And so now you put a kid in the batter's box, and you've taught them the fundamentals, and maybe they've gotten that. But now we're dealing with a whole new issue, right, as we're teaching the kid to hit. Because now it's not just fundamentals that we're dealing with. Now we've got to deal with the physical, the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual. Because now my life is on the line, right? Here's Billy. He's coming in the plate. Coach talks to Billy. Hey, listen, Billy, here's how this is going to go down. They're going to throw you a fastball. Then they're going to throw you another fastball. And then, if you haven't gotten well on those, they're going to throw you a curveball. That's the minor league recipe for success. Just know how it's going to happen down for you. Okay, coach. Got it, coach. And so Billy goes in there, and Billy's ready to go. And Billy's got the bat on his shoulder. And there it goes. Pitch one. Strike one. Billy didn't move. All right? Coach looks at Billy. Hey, Billy, you ready? Just coach. Got it, coach. Gets back in the box. Pitch number two coming. Strike two. Billy, what you doing? It's okay, coach. I got it, coach. It's like, all right. Here comes pitch number three. Strike three. Billy hasn't swung at all. Is he living out his faith? Because he's told you he's got it. He's told you, I trust you, coach. I believe it. Whatever you say, I'm here. I'm on it. But there's no doing, right? There's no action. There's no work backing up what he says he's believing. And James says, hey, listen, this faith that doesn't have a work behind it, it's a dead faith. You can't claim it as a faith. Billy can't go up to you and say, hey, I'm a baseball player. I'm a hitter. Minor leaguer. Right? Because he's not swung the bat yet. Billy's there, but he's not really done his job yet. And so God's word says, so how are we going to do this with our faith? What, like with the standard, are we going to then live out our faith? And, and listen to what it says in these next few verses, starting at verse 18 of chapter 2. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, that should be a powerful verse for us in today's age. Because I don't know how many of you have talked to people where they say, hey, I believe in God. Right? I mean, that's a, it's a pretty simple, straightforward phrase in our world. I believe in God. But there's no action that should support or show that's really what they believe. And so, how do you carry the conversation on? You could tell them, well, you know what? The truth is, even the demons believe that there's a God. My question for you is, what actions are in your life that show this is your faith? Because I care for you. Like, I want to know, like, is this really what you believe? He carries on in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works 
when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, some of your ears are probably tingling right now. Say, wait a second, Pastor Tony. I've only heard you got to have faith. And that, that faith is a free gift from God. And so as long as I have my faith, God and I are all good. James over here is telling me a little something different. Are you sure James is part of the Bible? Some of you are probably wondering that, right? And so let's deal with James. What is James trying to say to us? He's saying the same thing to us that Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 say. All right? What's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 say? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. He's saying, hey, listen, there is a gift that's been given to you. It is a gift of faith. It wasn't something you earned. It wasn't something you deserved. But it was given as a kindness of the Lord when he sent his son, Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit awakened your eyes to see, hey, that, that's real. Jesus is real. I need him. My sin is real. I need a Savior. And I need a Lord. But then verse 10, this is the one that gets missed a lot of times. Because why were you saved? You were saved so that you could go and do the good works that God had planned beforehand for you to go and do. This faith that God placed in you was placed in you to change you and make you to go and do something for his namesake and for his glory. So there's an action that follows it immediately. It doesn't just stay as a, I have a faith. It's a, no, I have a faith. And because I have a faith, I'll show it to you. Look at how God has worked in my life. Let me show you what I've done. And so sometimes we get certain kids in majors in minor league, they get a little smart, right? They get up to the plate. They started figuring things out like, hey, I can't just stand here anymore. People realize I'm not going to hit. And so Billy's, Billy's educated now. Billy's got this thing figured out. So we're moving up to the major leagues. Hey, Billy, majors, people have figured out the whole fastball thing. So we don't start with fastballs anymore. We start with a changeup. So you're going to get a changeup first. And then after that changeup, you're going to get a fastball. Now, if you don't swing at that fastball, you're probably going to get another fastball. But if you swing at that and you're late, you're for sure getting a fastball. If you tip it, you're going to get a changeup. You got the plan? Yes, coach. Here we go. I'm going to tip that bat on that plate, let you know I'm here. I see you. I got you. Bat goes up. Ready for first pitch. Change up. Strike one. Didn't take a move. All right. I see what's going on here. I have to think about this a little bit more. Hey, Billy, we good? Yep. Coach, we got it. Get back up to that plate. Remember, it's a fastball. All right, coach. I'm going to bend down, make it look like I'm ready. Let them know that I'm here. Strike two. Okay. All right, Billy. So we're on strike three. Need you to swing on this one, right? We've got to protect the plate. All right, coach. Get up here. Make sure that I really let them know I've got him where I want him. And then here it comes. Any conviction? 
No, no conviction. But hey, I swung. And here's what Billy knows. I can walk back to the dugout. Guys, I swung. I did it. I took, I took my hack. Mom, dad, just so you know, I'm a baseball player. I took my swing. And, and that's how sometimes we approach this life. Is that, again, we, we say we got a faith. But the actions just aren't backing up what our faith really is supposed to be about. So then what do we do? Right? What do we do with Billy? Because he says he has a faith, but we haven't really seen any conviction behind it. Like, how as a coach do you help a guy like Billy around? And how do we as a church sometimes, because sometimes, let's be honest about it, sometimes we get in slumps. Okay? If you watch the pros, sometimes this happens. Sometimes you wonder, why do they look so bad? I mean, like, that guy's just not even swinging at good stuff. It's like sometimes people do get caught in sin. They get in a slump and they need somebody to come alongside them. Well, here's what James says in chapter one. He says, hey, count it all joy, my brother, when you have trials in your life. Because what is this trial about? Well, it's about the crucible, right? And I don't know if you know what the crucible is, but a coach that really knows what they're doing, they have a few crucible practices in their back pocket. Okay, this is the practice to help put people in the fire and find out what kind of metal you're dealing with. Like, hey, where are you and what are we going to work with here? And is there something that's really going to rise to the top that we need to get rid of? Or is this really just how it is? Right. And so you put them in the fire. And so the silversmiths take a crucible, put their silver, their raw silver in there, and they would heat it up. And as they heat it up, the impurities come to the top and then they skim the impurities off and then they reheat. Right? And they get it going again hotter and make it hotter and more impurities rise to the top and they skim that off. And the idea here is to keep it going so hot and keep skewering it off until you as a silversmith could look over it and you could see your reflection. You could look intently at who you were and you would see, hey, that's me. That's pure. We're good to go here. I'm a doer of the word now. I'm not just a hearer only. And so with Billy, you would, you know, you'd work different drills. You'd put him through different things, trying to get him to stop being afraid of the ball. And let's talk about that. Like physically, mentally, emotionally, like we have to work through that as Christians. Because like the idea of going, your call to go scares a lot of us to death, right? How am I supposed to go and tell somebody about Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Because they might not like me when it's done. And Dave, you know, brought up a really good point when he was preaching about it because he said, hey, if, if you really love them, then you would think about their eternal state. And their eternal state is what would then convict you to hold the standard and say, that's why I've got to go talk to you about Jesus Christ. Because eternally, if I put you in the standard, you're not meeting the standard. And if the standard's not met, Christ is not your Lord and Savior, and there's no action backing up your faith, then you're not going to be eternally at home. And so now I've got a reason why I'm going to then be convicted to go and love people, right? If, if it's giving, right? So emotionally, many of us are tied to our money because emotionally we realize things that it has for potentially our family and other people or potentially ourselves. And so the idea of like holding God's standard financially can be tough unless we are convicted by the standard and say, you know what? God's word calls me to hold this standard. 
and not only does God's word call me to hold it, but as I've watched scripture, it's pointed out how God provides for his people. And so as I'm going through the crucibles, I'm going through these trials, here's the great goodness of James. It ends with chapter 5. It starts off saying, hey, count it all joy that you're going through trials because these trials are there to make you more like Christ. And in becoming more like Christ, God is going to give you the wisdom you need to handle whatever situation you've got. How do you get the wisdom that you need? Sometimes it's through other believers. Okay? This whole idea that I have to just, you know, be between me and God all the time. It's like, no, sometimes God wants to use another brother or sister in your life to just remind you, here, here's the truth. Or maybe you don't know this. Let me encourage you with this information so that that can help you along your way. But when you get to these points where you're standing at home plate and you realize, like, hey, I'm actually going to go up against somebody that's like a pro-pro. I'm no longer in, like, the little league stuff here. Like, I'm about to do one of the hardest things in all of athletics. Hit a round ball with a round bat, and I'm supposed to hit it square. Okay, coach. All right? And you realize, hey, this is almost impossible because this guy's not going to throw the ball the same place every time. And now he's not going to throw it the same place. He's not going to throw it the same speed every time. Like, how am I going to make this thing happen, right? Well, James 5 says, you're going to do it by prayer. And the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful because it's a prayer of faith. And he says, there's an example of this prayer of faith in Elijah. Elijah stepped into a situation that was impossible. And when he stepped into that situation, the only thing he had to trust on was God. And that God was going to answer the call of his prayer. Elijah, if you remember the story, goes to the Mount Carmel. And he's going to have a duel between himself, the lone prophet of God, and the 450 prophets of Baal. And so, not only is he going to go against the 450 prophets of Baal alone, but the king and the queen are on the side of the prophets of Baal. And so, he's against them as well. And not only is he against them, but because the king and the queen have kind of embraced the prophets of Baal, he's now fighting pretty much the whole nation of Israel. There might be some that are on his side, but they're keeping it pretty quiet. And not only is he fighting them, but then they added on another 400 prophets of Asherah. So, 850 of these other people... One, Elijah. And he comes and he says, okay, we're going to find out today who really is God. And they build up two altars. And in the process, Baal becomes a false god. People realize, hey, this guy is not real. He's not answering. This isn't the truth. But Elijah only takes one prayer. And God answers in one prayer, showing with fire from heaven, I alone am the one true God. And so as we think about impossible situations, we've got to remind ourselves of like what God has done throughout time and history because that then gives us courage to then again hold this standard and to walk in obedience to this standard. And so the prayer of a righteous person really does avail much. In James chapter 5, it also says, Are any of you sick? Are any of you in need of healing? Call on the elders and let them come and pray over you. Let them pray for you. And here's there's a dual reason to this whole thing. One, it's a step of faith, right? It's now faith in action. I'm sick. I need help. Nothing else is helping me. I'm going to trust in God to save me. 
You don't have to wait that long either. If you guys want to call for any of the elders to come pray over you, we would gladly come pray for you. Um, but it's a step of faith. And in that step of faith, there's also a humbling of yourself. Because as you're going to approach God, it's going to lead you to search your own heart. Like, hey, am I walking in obedience to the Lord? Am I really doing what's right before him? Because if not, I really need to then make things right with God. Because sometimes, Scripture says, sometimes people do get sick because there's sin in their life. Other times, that's not the issue. But when you call on the elders, God says, hey, here you're taking a step of faith. They're there to not only care for you in prayer, but to care for your soul and to allow God to then work on your behalf. So let me pray for us today as we're going to seek God to become doers of the word, not hearers only. People who walk in faith, a faith that's active, a faith that has purpose to it because our God is with us. Let us then not be too worried when we go into the crucible or when we find ourselves in trials and, and struggles in life because God is with us and he's for us. And then remind our hearts that we can pray for one another because when things look impossible, with God, nothing. Let's pray. God, this morning as we come to you, we want to give you great thanks for your word and the hope that it brings. And we thank you for Jesus Christ and through him, how we not only have salvation, but God, we have righteousness given to us so that when we fail, God, you say, hey, I've covered that and I'm here to walk with you and help move you forward. God, I pray that you would now bless our church and the people here and that you would continue to grow us in Jesus' name.